Equip us to contend for the faith once for all handed down to the saints. I also thank you, Lord, for Jerry uh, in his birthday today, or tomorrow, rather, Lord. I pray that you would bless him and keep him and protect him. Uh, we thank you for Bob and the healing that you've brought upon him and Cladoris and uh, so many other blessings that we have. And so we thank you for our night. I pray for blessings upon Tom, our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Tom Gonzer, and uh, we've been going here probably a couple of years now. And so um, I knew Peter a long time ago. Actually, uh, I, uh, I actually hired Peter where he is now. And so I ended up coming in there, and uh, he was just getting out of college at the time. And uh, he looks about as young as he did back then as he does now. So uh, Peter and Chris are an amazing, amazing couple. Peter took a couple of my classes. I've done some classes at a church that we used to go at. And, uh, and so he asked if I would maybe give it here. I normally had given it over 8 to 12 weeks, different types of things. So try and breaking this down. I don't want to bore you at all. And hopefully it, it, uh, it's going to go well. I... Uh, I, uh, I know that it's, it's, it's quite a topic, uh, you know, as far as Marxism, socialism, all that type of thing. And uh, just a quick um, uh, review of myself. I, I grew up in, uh, in Denver. I was born and raised in Denver. And then I, I uh, left Denver and went to college. I was raised Catholic. I was raised Catholic, so I was a fish eater. And uh, so I ended up, uh, I was being raised Catholic, and just like Dan. And um, I was a good guy. I went 10 years to Catholic schools. And then I ended up going to college in a small college in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, where I met my wife. We've been married now for 46 years. And, um, and so I took one class in college. It was more of a philosophy class. And uh, they, they asked one question in that. And it was really, the name of the class was called The Theology of God. And one, one question that he asked was, uh, how can you prove that Christ was the Son of God? And I was raised Catholic, and uh, at that particular point in time, it isn't like I wanted to, to, to leave being a Christian. There was a, a, a doubt. Was, there was a door opened of doubt that came um, into my mind. And at that particular point in time, I'd lost my faith for almost 20 years. And so when I came back, I, I wouldn't say that I was an atheist. I was not an agnostic. I was probably more of a pantheist, which means that God is everywhere and uh, in everything, in a pantheism. And so I, I came in, and uh, it uh, was something that I think through a series of miracles, when I was 34 years old, I ended up where uh, someone had invited me to come to see a guy by the name of Lowell Lundstrom. Some of you are familiar with Lowell. And, uh, and at that particular point in time, uh, he was preaching, and that was that was really the beginning of of really where I started to realize that there's, there's, um, there's truth. And uh, I remember uh, there was a guy by the name of Josh McDowell wrote a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict, which was huge for me. And I was a biology major out of, out of college. So to me, a lot of stuff, it's funny how God works because it was something that as I started to listen to certain tapes that this friend of mine gave to me, it, it ended up where um, it hit me right between the eyes. And I started to realize that either the Bible is true or it's not true. It's either inerrant or it's not inerrant. And uh, it, it goes all the way to, to Adam and Eve and to Jonah and everything else. If you, if you believe it here but you don't believe it over here, uh, then that's your editorial. That's your, deci that's your decision that you've made to, to decide what you want. And I think today, and, and Bob, you had talked a little bit about uh, uh, as you debate some of the different people that you debate, 
it, it seems so obvious to me. Either what it says in the Bible is right or it's wrong. It's pretty black and white. And as you look at that, I started to really get uh, interested at that particular point in time. Um, it was probably about seven or eight years later in what they called a worldview. I happened to go to a, co- a conference on worldviews. And there's about six worldviews in the world today. And you will, you will believe in a certain worldview, and you will act out your belief system of how you believe. As you look at whether someone is a Muslim, and they're acting out uh, you know, what they believe in the Koran, or someone who's a Christian, or someone who's an atheist, or someone who believes in Marxism. And what they'll do is those uh, things that they believe in, that's how they see the world. And there are six worldviews. And, uh, and so I became very passionate about learning about what those worldviews were. And tonight what I'm going to do, and what uh, Eric had asked if I would do, is talk a little bit about Marxism. I think you can't talk just about Marxism, but you also talk about all the influences that came along with it. Because what we're living in today, I think, is a planned event. You know, people come in there and they, they look at it and they go, can you believe what's going on? That is not something that's new. What's going on is something that is old. It's just it, the fruit of, of that and what's happening right now is sometimes it's, it's well over 100 and some odd years old. It just ends up in the last probably 40 or 50 years that you're starting to see the fruit of that starting to um, come in, and, and the fruit is, is, is coming out pretty, pretty evidently. So my mission tonight is really to, uh, to, to show you the different things that are going on in the area of the world today, especially within the United States. I think that as you look at it, and most of you are Christians in here, you look at um, the one world government, you're looking at one world religion, and you're looking at, at, um, uh, at all of that. So what we're going to do is we're going to start off with uh, actually a quick video. And um, uh, if you have never seen this uh, video, I think you can get it on YouTube. One of the best you've ever seen. It probably encompasses... Um, all the things that are going on here, and uh, it's one of the best that you could ever do. It's probably an hour video, something in that neighborhood. There's also, it's called The Agenda, and there's also The Agenda too. And the uh, uh, guy's a strong Christian. It's uh, really valuable. Uh, and here we go. If we can, uh, let's see. We're going to get this. Don't you worry. Okay. We practice this. <laughs> And hopefully Traditional motion picture story, the villains are usually defeated, the ending is a happy one. I can make no such promise for the picture you're about to watch. The story isn't over. You and the audience are part of the conflict. You look at the changes in America since 1960, perhaps. The, the whole culture's been transformed. They're coming out of the belief that the village should raise the child Uh, and the village means the government they have deliberately destroyed the american family understanding that's the foundational block that uh, builds a society we've come from uh norman rockwell's america to uh you know hugh hefner's america if we lose the judeo-christian framework we're lost forever The left wants you to think that the cultural changes that have taken place in America since the 1960s have done nothing but progress us forward toward a brave new world. This film will show that the brave new world they seek is nothing more 
than the failed policies and ideologies of the communism that enslaved over a third of the world's population during the 20th century. It will show that most people on the left aren't communist, just the useful idiots Lenin spoke of, being used to promote a socialist agenda, which is the first and necessary step toward communism. It will show they've done everything in their power to dumb down our children, undermine our families, rewrite our history, and promote obscenity and immorality everywhere that they can. They look at what holds society together, they understand it, but they don't want that. They want change, and they will subvert and rot every good and decent thing we believe in because they have a vision for a new society, and that must mean the replacement of the old society. This film will show why the ideas that now dominate our educational system are focused on removing God and his influence from every part of our culture. lot of uh, subcategories to these worldviews, but you'll look at that, and, and as you look at that, I've got a, I've got a copy of that that you, anybody in this room can take home, but you look at the Christian worldview, and normally what you're going to have to have in a worldview is on the left side, you'll see that from theology, philosophy, ethics, they will have uh, in every particular category that particular category, they will have a belief system. And you'll notice that whether it's Islam, whether it's secular humanism, whether it's Marxist-Leninism, cosmic humanism, and then uh, the postmodern view. And every single one of them. And so when you talk to people today and what you see what's going on, and I'm only going to talk about the Marxist worldview. Uh, and if you look at Christianity today, Christianity today is, is absolutely being bombarded. And it's really being bombarded in the area, uh, especially um, as far as the area, as far as uh, socialism. And, um, and so if, one of the next one here, I truly believe this. Um, when, when we come in and as Christians, we, it says, but sanct- this is First Peter 3.15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with a meekness and fear. And Luann, you and I were talking a little bit, this is a while back, but just talking a little bit about sometimes we're not able to defend ourselves. Our kids go to school, all the things that are taken away from them, all the things that you believed as a, as a kid growing up, all of a sudden that whole belief system. You know why? It's because we're not having them um, really in a, in a position where they know how to defend themselves. We're, we're sending them into battle without any armor. And so as you look at it, we need to be able to come in there and we need to be able to, to protect our ourselves as well as our children. And this has been a passion for me for a long time. And um, if you look at this in Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I also reject you as my priests because you have ignored the law of your God. I, I also will ignore your children. Um, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the he- heavenly realm. I truly believe it's a spiritual battle without a doubt. It's happening um, uh, all the time today. Uh, three things to win the battle, I believe. Understand anti-biblical philosophies. If you look
look at uh, Bob and Eric, they're always teaching about really false teachers. There are so many false teachers today that I see. It's just amazing to me. It's just a plethora of false teachers that are going on out there. And so we need to understand the anti-biblical philosophies that are out there. Uh, I just don't believe in just sitting around just being stupid about this stuff. I think you need to be empowered. I think you need to be, you know, knowing about some of this type of stuff. And so it says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Don't a lot of things sound sound really good today? Uh, but they're not. They're not. And you'll see this. Um, uh, see to it that no one takes you captive through the hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of the world rather than on Christ, uh, rooted in the Word of God. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of the men and their deceitful scheming. What I'm sharing with you with Marxism is so deceitful. There's just no question about it. When people in countries follow a, a Marxist doctrine, you just see the, just the travesty that, that goes in its wake. Um, and then how did we get here? There's four stages to transform a nation. The first thing, and you'll see this all the time, they'll go back and, and we're our... Is our country perfect? Of course it's not perfect. The thing that you have to realize, though, that's out there is if there's a strategy uh, that is out there to to come in there and uh, to transform a nation, they have to come in and they have to, to break down your belief system. And that's why when you look at uh, history and you look at revisionist history that's out there today, they're trying to revise everything. So when your kids go to school, you've got to understand the National Education Association, in order for you to end up getting funding as a school, you have to teach their curriculum. And their curriculum, without a question, is very socialistic. You, you see a lot of that, that, that that's in there. And you see, you know, and, and, you know, it was such a tragedy down in Florida. But, but when you look at what they've done over the last 30 or 40 years, you look at what's going on in our kids' minds are confused. So much is going on there. And so the first th- thing that they'll do is they'll demoralize the nation. They'll take our founders of our country. They'll take different um, people that we have respected, different people over the years that we would talk about in history. And what they will do is they will demoralize that. They will cut it down. So when you come in and listen to that, these kids are going to college now. When they go to college, they come back and, you know, they just love all the things when they were growing up and they go to Sunday school, they go to all that type of stuff and they go to college. And all of a sudden what, they, what has happened is they've been stolen. And all of a sudden they come back and you don't even recognize the same kid that you sent to college. Why? Because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a planned event to take that away from them. And, uh, and you see that. So demoralizing a nation, destabilize the nation, create a crisis. There's crisis going on everywhere. Well, that's a pl- planned event. I'll talk a little bit about Saul Alinsky tonight. That was his whole motive was to be able to create chaos, create crisis. And that was, that was a strategy that is out there. And then normalization. So when there's a crisis, what do they want? They start yelling for more government. When you get more government, then government comes in, and we have a bigger form of government. And so you'll see a lot of different things that are going on. So this next uh, video was a guy who was a KGB defector, and he talks about this. He talks about really the strategy of being able to take over but a nation and what they try and do. The main emphasis of the KGB is not in the area of its intelligence at all. According to my uh, opinion and opinion of many defectors of my caliber, only about 15% of time, money, and manpower is spent on espionage as such. The other 85% is a slow process, which we call either ideological subversion or active measures, active мероприятия in the language of, of the KGB, or psychological warfare. What it basically means is to change the perception of reality 
of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interest of defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. It's a great brainwashing uh, process which goes very slow and it's divided in, in four basic stages. Uh, the first one being demoralization. It takes from 15 to 20 years to demoralize a nation. Why that many years? Because this is the minimum number of years which requires to uh, educate one generation of students in the country of, of, of your enemy, exposed to the ideology of the enemy. In other words, Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism, American patriotism. The result, the result you can see, most of the people who graduated in the 60s, dropouts or half-baked intellectuals, are now occupying the positions of power in the government, civil service, business, mass media, educational system. You are But in reality, the main emphasis of the KGB is not in the area of intelligence at all. According to my uh, opinion... Okay, so four areas to change a culture, uh, education, philosophy, and science. Political, uh, political government, social, and then also the religious. The, uh, um, I call this the wall of shame. Uh, this really is uh, powerful. I'm going to go back and talk a little bit about it. But um, if you look on the left there, uh, a big influence was uh, a guy by the name of Hegel. I would say probably the guy that probably influenced the most of what we have today was Charles Darwin. Uh, without a doubt, Charles Darwin made um, so many of these people, uh, whatever they were thinking, the, 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 the philosophies that they had, it allowed those philosophies to take root because of Charles Darwin. And if you know anything about Charles Darwin, it's, it's an interesting study on, uh, on really his life. And he influenced Karl Marx. In fact, when you look at Marx and you look at Engels, those are the two guys that wrote the Communist Manifesto. Those two guys, um, really, when, Tar when, they, when they read Charles Darwin, Darwin. They came in there and they go, and in fact, I think it was Engels told Marx, he says, you've got to read some of this stuff by Charles Darwin. It supports everything that we've been talking about. And so then Marx came in there, he influenced Lenin. Uh, then you came in there and, and uh, Lenin influenced Stalin. Then you had Hitler, you had Mao, you had uh, Pol Pot, you had uh, so many of these different uh, people. Um, that were there, and then he had Benito Mussolini. Uh, there's a guy by the name of uh, Frederick Nietzsche. You'll see that with a big mustache right below Hitler. He influenced him uh, heavily. And then you have a guy today uh, that a lot of people follow uh, kind of his strategy to get people to, uh, it's revolutionary. The, you know what they're all looking for, to be very honest with you? They're looking for a revolution. Do you see that today? You see that at Berkeley? You see that everywhere that's out there. Do you think that that's what they want? That's exactly what they want. That's exactly what they're looking for. And so as you look at uh, Saul Alinsky, it's interesting with Saul Alinsky, who the people that he studied in order to have... See, he was out of Chicago. And when you come in and, and see what he did out of Chicago, the guy that he followed a lot was a guy by the name of Al Capone. And so Al Capone was, uh, you know, he was a mobster. And then his hit guy was a guy by the name of Frank Nitti. 
And Frank Nitti was his hitman, and so he looked at all the things that he did as far as criminality and, and getting people, you know, uh, coming in there and, and revolting and, and, and all that type of stuff. Saul Alinsky, that's, that's who he followed. That's who his, his uh, group of people that he would look into. And then, um, then you have, a, we'll talk a little bit about Margaret Sanger. Margaret Sanger was the one that followed, uh, she's the one that started Planned Parenthood. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about eugenics, but uh, she was terrible, absolutely terrible. When you look at Mal you look at Hitler. No one t- thinks of Margaret Sanger. Margaret Sanger, there's probably a hundred million babies that have been ended up being aborted and have been murdered. And you look at you look at somebody like Hitler, and you think of how travesty, how tra- how much of a travesty that was. Well, she was the one that came in there and she started Planned Parenthood. And um, and so then there's something called the Frankfurt School. The Frankfurt School, without a doubt, was a strategy that came to America. And this was a school in Frankfurt, Germany that they were they were all socialists. They were Jewish also. It was during Hitler's time, and they knew that they couldn't stay in Germany. So they came back from Germany into the United States, primarily at, uh, at Columbia University. And they came into Columbia University, which was a teacher's college. And the guy who was the main guy on that um, was uh, who, who really started to, to come in with a system to be able to change America was a guy by the name of Herbert Marcuse. And that's that guy, that white-haired guy over there. Well, if you look at also, and I, this is not a political thing, this is a reality, is if you look at uh, uh, Saul Alinsky, you look at Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton came in there, and what she did is she did her thesis on Saul Alinsky. And then what happens is you've got to get all these people agitated. What, what Saul Alinsky wanted to do is he wanted to agitate the people. So you look at, at what they would do is they would be used community organizers, and that's where Barack Obama, that's what he was, was a community organizer. So this is not political, this is just historical. You can go out and look up the facts yourself. And that's one of my passions is that when you understand what's going on, when you see what's happening to society today, this is a planned event. And, uh, and so as we go on to the next one here, well, the next one, uh, Hegel was a guy that, uh, we'll talk a little bit about Hegel, but he's the guy that came up with uh, what they called uh, uh, the dialectic process. And Bob, you've talked about that a lot. Well, here's, here's basically what it is in a nutshell. You have one group over here that uh, has a certain belief system, and then you have a group over here that has the opposite belief system. When the two fight like that, they come up with what they call a synthesis. And he believed that that synthesis was going to produce something that was greater, something that was better. So they always wanted two opposing views to fight, and that's what what basically Hegel did. Then you come in there, and uh, 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 let's talk a little bit about Darwin. Um, one of the things that was really important about Darwin uh, that really was influenced. I'll, I'll read you uh, one of the guys who's a friend of mine. Uh, some of you may have heard of him, but I've known him for years and years. I, I started knowing him probably 20 years ago. His name was Brandon House. And uh, Brandon uh, is a guy that uh, has studied this stuff. He wrote a book, which I think is one of the best books on talking about these guys. It's called The Grave Influence. Uh, And it talks about in that book, it talks a lot about how we get so many of these people that are dead, but they're ruling from their grave. And that's why the name of the book came Grave Influence. But um, if you... you, uh, 
Look at Darwin. I'll just read what he says, which I think is absolutely correct. If you study all of these people, whether it's Margaret Sanger, whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's Marx, whether it's Lenin or any one of them, it, it uh, ended up where Darwin had such an influence. Um, 1809 to 1882, um, and if you look at, given that Adolf Hitler fully embraced the worldview of Charles Darwin, at this point in our discussion, it would be tempting to ask, need I say more? On the other hand, if the chapters in this book were placed in order of importance, of influence, Darwin, Darwin would be number one. The spectacular scope and intensity of Darwin's influence on virtually every arena of thought is breathtaking. The acceptance of Darwin's worldview and the associated science paved the way for the acceptance of every one of the people named in this book. If rising to Darwin's level of impact was a standard for induction into the Destructive Ideas Hall of Fame, he would be the only one to qualify for admittance. And um, as you look at it, one of the big things, and you'll see this a lot. Lenin did it. These guys, these guys were atheists, whether it was Lenin or whoever it might be. And so you look at these guys as an atheist. Lenin, uh, he treated people like cattle. He would treat them just like animals. And so to him, there wasn't really a God. And when you take God out of everything, man, you, you are really in for some big, big trouble. Because no one to answer to except for the government. And that's what you start to see that's out there. But he had something that was called survival of the fittest. It was just like, you know, the people that are going to end up uh, uh, surviving are the, are the ones that are going to be the fittest. Those are going to be the ones that do that. So, so when you came in there and you looked at Lenin, what they wanted to do is they wanted to speed up the process of evolution. So they would end up coming in and they would, they would take people that they didn't think were, were fit. And that's where Margaret Sanger comes in there with eugenics. Uh, it will end up where they're just not fit, so let's kill them off. Hitler did exactly the same thing. And so, um, and, and we'll go through some of the stuff with naturalism and, and, and some of that, but um, the... Uh, Karl Marx uh, was was a guy. Karl Marx was was an amazing individual, not in a positive way. Uh, it was from 1818 to 1883. They wrote the he wrote he and Engels wrote the Communist Manifesto. I'll just give you a brief history. If if let's say for example I was writing a diet book, all right, I was 400 pounds, I was overweight. Would you buy my diet book? Probably you wouldn't buy my diet book. And part of the challenge that people have is they're, fo- uh, they're, they're following a philosophy. If you look at these people's lives, if you look, just look back at how they lived, you'd say, why would I ever want to follow a guy that, that was like that? If you look at Karl Marx, Karl Marx borrowed money from everybody. He wouldn't pay the money back. He ended up where he, uh, he, 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 he was terrible about eating. He didn't eat very well. He, he would come in there and uh, he drank a lot. He's probably an alcoholic, but he drank an awful lot. He had, I think it was six kids. Three of the kids died at birth. Two of them committed suicide. And one of them survived out of six kids. There were 11 people that came to his funeral. Eleven people came to came to, to Marx's funeral. He owed everybody everything, and one of the things he didn't like about uh, when he was borrowing money, they would put interest on it. So, so he hated interest. But he would end up he did not he did not live a life that you would ever want to follow. He he was very bad at, at personal hygiene. Hardly would ever take a bath. He would end up he would had boils for twenty five years based on how he ended up coming in with his personal hygiene. 
25 years he would have boils. And, uh, and so he was a guy that, that you look at people, if you ever follow their life, if you, if you watch, you know, like I said, if you're 400 pounds and trying to do a diet book, just look at the people in the lives. And, and you look at Frederick Nietzsche. Frederick Nietzsche was a big guy for Hitler. He went into an insane asylum. You know, he came in there, it was in an insane asylum, uh, you know, at the end of his life. And so as you uh, look at these people and the people that are, that are lifted up, you know, they gave Margaret Sanger, I mean, they gave her a big award for Planned Parenthood. You know, the women gave her a big award for Planned Parenthood. And you look at the number of people that have been killed by Margaret Sanger and just that philosophy is just, it's just, it's just untold uh, ter- ter- uh, uh, terrorism, in my opinion. Socialism, political and economic theory of social organizations that advocates that the means of production, distribution, and exchange should be owned or regulated by the community as a whole. What they want to do, basically, and this, I'll I'll blow up just a little bit here. Uh, Capitalism means the production and distribution of goods are owned by the individuals and corporation. Socialism means the productions are owned by the government or the state. Uh, Capitalism features a class-based society. Socialism rejects the necessity of a class-based society in favor of a society of equals. They wanted to make everybody equal. That's exactly what they wanted to do. And then socialism... um, or capitalism fosters a competitive atmosphere in which workers and companies are encouraged to work hard to achieve personal success. Socialism encourages an atmosphere of cooperation in which no matter how hard a person works, he or she reaps the same benefits as everyone else. And you see that all the time. Would you work like crazy to give all your money away to somebody and insure it? Fifty percent of the people in the United States right now are on some type of a government program. And it's, it's, you see that going out there, so what is the incentive for someone to basically end up doing it? And it's just, it's, it's a tragedy. And then ownership of private property, it's interesting because when you, when you see a country that has taken over, uh, what you'll see uh, usually first is that they'll take away the... Uh, uh, they'll take away the land. They'll take away the, uh, uh, the ownership. Uh, I got this a few years ago. It's, it's uh, from a financial company. This is, this is in I'll let you see it. But it's to celebrate the holidays, we've decided to give cash to our clients and friends. And in here is uh, $10 trillion. Okay? And uh, this $10 trillion comes out of Zimbabwe. Now, I'll I'll read to you, and this this gives you an idea what socialism is all about. In 1980, the Zimbabwean dollar was worth more. This is in 1980. The Zimbabwean dollar is worth more than the U.S. dollar. Um, One dollar equaled uh, $1.47. The currency value rapidly eroded in government spending corruption and the seizure of privately owned farms. By 2009, the highly regulated labor market boasted unemployment of 94%. Numerous executives of Zimbabwean uh, companies were arrested for increasing prices on their products. And so what they basically did, just like Germany did, they ended up printing all the money. What do you think is going on in Venezuela right now? Do you know that Venezuela used to be... It was, the, it was the richest country in Latin America, Venezuela was. Do you know what the average that person makes a month now? 33 bucks. And it used to be the richest. They ended up having more oil than any place in the world, and they basically stole it all. And so what they did is they came in there, and, and when you get people in power that think that they're the elitist and the people that are in there, they're going to come in there, and they're going to come in and give you all these song and dance about how great it's going to be, and then they take over your liberties and freedom. And a good example of it is Venezuela today. It's, it's, it's terrible. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep this up. You can actually look at, look at that. But so... Um, uh, 
I'm not going to go through this because I don't think we have enough time. I'll go through a little bit. You'll, you'll kind of get the picture. I, well, maybe I'll do it. I, I think it's a good one. This is, this is socialism, okay, guys? It's called lemonade. Wow. Be sure to share all that with your friend across the street there. All right. Oh, ridiculous. There was a much kinder socialism that came out. Uh, it was the late 1800s, uh, 1900s. Uh, it was called Fabian Socialism. See, a lot of times people would start to see that, that uh, it was hard to get someone to buy into socialism because, especially with Lenin and, and Stalin, they would come in there and uh, they, they, they would f- force you to be- become a communist or a, or a socialist, and, and, and what they ended up doing is killing a ton of people. So Fabian Socialism was supposed to be uh, kind of much nicer, and so it was gradual change rather than just coming in and going, okay, we're going we're gonna to do that. And they felt it would be a better uh, form of socialism. If you look in here... You may not be able to see it, but their logo, it was actually a, uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's a wolf in sheep's that, that, that That is actual emblem 
from the Fabian Socialists. And so there's a lot of people that you're probably aware of that are Fabian Socialists and are part of the Fabian Social Society. Um, so who started all of this? We'll see. It was in March of 1883, Karl Marx, the father of modern-day communism, died. The assumption that communism would die with him was a logical one, since only nine people attended his funeral. In October of that same year in London, England, a group was forming called the Fabian Socialist Society. The Fabian Socialists decided that they were going to socialize the world uh, incrementally. They called it uh, socialism by evolution instead of Marxist socialism by revolution. It always worked in tandem with the communists. Some Fabians were also communists. There was a bit of interchange of membership. And the Fabian Socialists are slowly but surely bringing about uh, the socialization of the world. Uh, Europe is uh, pretty well done. They are now working in Latin America. Latin America is not just socialistic in many countries. They're all already Marxist. You have uh, hardcore Marxists in Venezuela and uh, Nicaragua. El Salvador just won communistic. And, of course, Fidel is sitting right there laughing at this whole thing. And we haven't even figured this thing out yet. We don't even know there's a, bla- a-, a red plague coming, coming up to meet us. We think that we're just going to watch the cartoons on Saturday morning and everything will be fine. They had a, uh, a lot to do with bad stuff happening. There are two things I found that gave me a good idea where the Fabians were really coming from. First of all, their symbol was a wolf in sheep's clothing. And secondly, George Bernard Shaw, who was a leader in the Fabians for almost 50 years, said, quote, I am a communist, but not a member of the Communist Party. Stalin is a first-rate Fabian. I am one of the founders of Fabianism and as such, very friendly to Russia, unquote. don't understand the power of the Frankfurt School. It was, uh, like I mentioned before, they started out in uh, in Germany, and they wanted to really expand the socialist idea and, and their philosophy. And you look at Herbert Marcuse on the right. He was kind of the leader of all of it, but it was uh, something that today what we're following is because of the philosophy of that uh, the numbers of people that came from that school. So I'll, I'll just share with you a video on this, which is really good. The next group I found that has seriously impacted America's culture is the Frankfurt School. The Frankfurt School was a sort of an outpost in America of European socialism. Willie Munzenberg, with with a few other uh, Bolsheviks, founded the Frankfurt School. The two leading members are Herbert Marcuse and Franz Neumann. Franz Neumann was, in fact, a Soviet agent. Their entire purpose was to... Uh, stand the entire educational system of the West, and the United States in particular, on its head. Bertrand Russell, who worked with the Frankfurt School, said, by using psychological techniques to teach the children, we will be able to produce, quote, an unshakable conviction that snow is black, unquote. They established a school here with the help of John Dewey. He helps bring these German intellectuals to America in 1933, drop them down at Princeton, Berkeley, Brandeis, to go after education and media. Included in those goals were the teaching of homosexuality and sexuality to children, the promotion of excessive drinking and destruction 
of religion in the United States. That was a big one. And they basically started the social rot. Willie Munzberg said, we are going to make the West so corrupt it stinks. I love spending time with my family, July 4th, baseball and apple pie. In my mind, can't even comprehend that there were groups of intellectuals back in the 1930s plotting and planning how they could make America so corrupt it stinks. There are certain lines and certain limits, and the left has always pushed it as hard as they can, as far as they can, and will protect any pornographer, any deviant, any cult, any negative cultural form they can find, basically to degrade the culture. And that goes right along with the feminism of today, which was part of the Frankfurt School's desire to destroy a patriarchal society for a matriarchal society. In other words, remove the father as the loving provider, discipliner, uh, discipler, uh, leader of his home, where you instill virtues and integrity and modesty. That's been broken down on purpose, because they knew if they could destroy the family, they could destroy a nation. And instead of having a father who leads and disciples and protects the home and provides for the family, the government steps in as a nanny state. The Frankfurt School developed the concept of cultural Marxism. Penetrate their culture, take it over, and then everything else will follow. And of course they did that, and today we've had a complete cultural revolution. As many people in America are familiar with the phrase, make love, not war, that actually came from Herbert Mucuza, who was with the Frankfurt School. So these guys went after education, they went for media, and they've been very successful in changing the entire worldview of Americans through what they call political correctness, but it's really cultural Marxism, with the goal being to destroy Christianity, then create chaos, and then move to their ultimate goal, which is from cultural Marxism to traditional Marxism, which is socialism. They came up with something called the critical theory. I'm not going to read through this, um, but really a critical theory was to criticize everything. And so when they would come in, and, and uh, when you see it today, you'll see everything in the schools, the classes, whether it's uh, someone who's white, someone who's black, all that type of stuff. It's let's criticize everything. They knew that this was the strategy to be able to do that. And they came up with something called critical theory. And you can go look it up, but it's, it is truly amazing, their philosophy of what they tried to do. Uh, this guy right here, he's, he's a very important person. Uh, he... Uh, was a communist. He uh, was from Italy. He came in and he was um, uh, Benito Mussolini, who was the, the dictator in, in uh, actually Italy, uh, put him in prison and he wrote a... Uh, he, he believed this. He believed that when he saw he was a big communist, he was a socialist, he wanted uh, that to take, um, uh, to take root, but he never believed that a revolutionary uh, socialism was ever going to work. So he had what they said, we have to change the culture. And that's what you'll start to hear in what they call cultural Marxism. That's where it comes from. The guy that came up with all of that, the guy that literally influenced Saul Alinsky is that dude right there. That's the guy. And Antonio Gramsci is, uh, is quite a character. He was in prison when he wrote uh, some of his, uh, his essays and things like that. And then later on, it became uh, very, very popular, especially with the socialists. So we'll do this. Most of the strategy to remake America from within started with Antonio Gramsci. 
who wrote over 2,000 pages back in the 1930s outlining how to take a Judeo-Christian culture down from the inside. The plan he suggested has been the main focus of the left ever since. Antonio Gramsci was a uh, neo-Marxist uh, philosopher. Antonio Gramsci was an Italian communist. Antonio Gramsci is probably the, the biggest troublemaker in the world. He's probably got more, more responsibility for our social ills than anybody else on the planet. He knew of the importance of undermining the morals in the character of, of this country. Because America had a strong Christian heritage, you had to uh, attack the culture. You had to change the culture. Even to pornography, into areas that uh, most people normally wouldn't accept. He said that we're going to destroy the West by destroying its culture. We're going to infiltrate and we're going to turn their music, their art, and their literature against them. That means that you penetrate the universities, that you write the books, the novels, the poetry, the music, the book reviews. And once you control the culture, then you can sort of shape the thought of rising generations. He differed with Marx instead of, for example, uh, destroying the church and the other basic institutions. He said infiltrate them and use them to change the culture. What uh, Gramsci had to say was that this is the way that government is perpetuated and society is perpetuated is through these churches because they set the standards, they set the framework of the way people lived, of rules, how a family should be structured. He didn't want a, a revolution on the streets that would be overturned by the police the next day. He wanted to change society over the long term so that we'd have a revolution without us even realizing it, basically. And the communists have been very effective in promoting their ideology in Hollywood, in the mass media. And I think he was quite right. I think that's exactly what has happened. I think that's what's worked. I think it's working that way now. And that's where a lot of these people come from. And that's been the big success story of communism in the last 50 years. It's the professors, it's the educationalists, it's the journalists. They are the shock troops, the Gramscian shock troops of the future. Forgetting, uh, but uh, Dewey's the father of education, um, and to think of our educational system today, and he's the father of education. He's the guy that really did a lot to get the Frankfurt School in into the United States, and uh, and so um, if. Uh, One would hope that the person dubbed as the father of modern American education would craft a system to preserve the high ideals of Jefferson, Washington, Adams, and other founding fathers in the hearts and the minds of the American children for generations to come. One would hope that, but one would be grievously disappointed. The most influential educational guru in American history was a Fabian Socialist, signer of the Human Manifesto, I, uh, the founding member of the American Civil Liberties Union, 
and the president and League for Industrial Democracy, the American counterpart for the British Fabian Society. As all of the above, John Dewey has wounded America to a degree that few other people ever have or even know. Dewey worked hard to refine his socialist pedigree, and in 1928 he traveled to Russia to help implement the Karl Marx system of education and then return to teach at Columbia University. If you look at a lot of the people that came from the Frankfurt School, they went first, because it was a teacher's college, they went first to Columbia University. And you'll see that a lot of those people that came and became teachers went on to different universities around the United States. And um, as the head of the university's Department of Education. So he was the head of the Department of Education at Columbia. Dewey supported the upstairs Upstart Socialist Society in America while also being an honorary president of the National Education Association. He promoted secular humanism in his book, A Common Faith, and was the leading force behind bringing a group of German intellectuals from the Frankfurt School to America. The Frankfurt School promulgated the worldviews of Friedrich Nietzsche, and with the arrival of the school's programs in 1933, they set a about to implement cultural Marxism in every area of American life under the disguise of political correctness. If you see political correctness today, that was literally an outcropping of what the Frankfurt School wanted you to do. If they can shut you up, then you're not going to say anything. And so when you see political correctness today, that was straight from the Frankfurt School, and that's where it really got its origins. And, um, um, and so... Uh, one of Dewey's most famous quotations sums up his philosophy now prevalent in the American educational system and curriculum. There is no God and there is no soul. This is from, from John Dewey, who is the father of education in the United States. And uh, hence there is no needs for the props of traditional religion. With dogma and creed excluded, the um, immutable, I mean unchangeable truth is also dead and buried. There is no room for fixed natural law or permanent absolutes. And uh, that's, that's right out of postmodernism. John Dewey, Karl Marx, Aldous Huxley, B.F. Skinner, and Benjamin Bloom were interested in the student's academic achievement only if it would in some way benefit the state. Before a student's cognitive knowledge could be used to its full potential for the student's attitudes, values, feelings, and beliefs must conform to that of the state. And so uh, he, was, he was a Fabian socialist. Like I said, he was an atheist. And if you look at so much of what's gone on today it's, it, on the National Education Association, it's one that has been in, been in place for years and years. This lady right here, um, she uh, was the one who started eugenics. If you don't know what eugenics are, it was later, uh, it came in. In fact, she, she really liked Hitler a lot. Eugenics is to, uh, they, would, they would come in there and plan Parenthood was was used to to really eliminate a lot of people, and so it uh, it ended up where um, from from the blacks uh, to uh, the Jews to different people that they didn't like. Hitler was somebody who used eugenics. She was the one that that she was huge into eugenics. She was a socialist. She was an atheist, and to her, what they were looking for is a superhuman. So what they would do is they would come in there and they believed that all these people, and she called them human weeds that would they would come in there and they would they would basically if if you were trying to uh 
take an animal and get the perfection out of, uh, out of the best animal or whatever it was. They were wanting to use genetics to be able to come in there and have the best, and that's why they called it superhuman. That's exactly what Hitler did, and, uh, and so he, he, he wanted this superhuman race. Well, she did exactly the same thing. She felt some people should not even be around. She wanted to sterilize them. She wanted to do all kinds of different types of things, not to have them breed, and that's exactly what she ended up doing, and so that's, that's the one that a lot of people will raise up today how great Planned Parenthood. Well, this is the founder of Planned Parenthood. And it's just, it's a tragedy of some of the things that she did. Now, here's what's interesting. You've got to read this because a lot of people know that Hitler, or not Hitler, but Darwin, Darwin wrote a book called The Origin of Species, which was all about evolution and what he believed, and, and uh, he just believed that everybody evolved and, and that type of thing. But it, it's a uh, it's, uh, means of natural selection. It was uh, the survival of the fittest. Look underneath here what most people don't ever tell you on the, on the underside of it. It says, preservation of favored races in uh, the struggle for life. He believed in favored races. He believed that there were favored races. In fact, if you look at Hitler, I think there were seven different levels of race that there were. I think the lowest was the Aborigine, um, and then they thought that they're, they're the, the Germans were the highest. And, and if you study anything about Hitler, and you look at these, they had a category. He would come in there, and he went down to Tibet and a lot of different places down in, in um, I think it was in India and, and uh, in that area, and they were, they were looking for the perfect race, and they thought that they were genetically much superior to anybody else. That's exactly what Margaret Sanger ended up doing too. They believed in this. And, and that's why, folks, if you look at the Declaration of Independence, and it says in the Declaration that, that uh, we're endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights, and above those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These guys don't believe that. They don't believe that at all. And so when you look at these people and, and you look at what people are following today, you look at a country that, from my standpoint, is the greatest thing that was ever developed. I think it's, it's a miracle that our country was even, even developed. It, it really, really was. And, and so the people that are engaging, uh, you know, this, this happened in the... Uh, in, in the um, uh, as far as uh, Saul Alinsky is concerned, he was down in Chicago. But he, his philosophy was this. His uh, philosophy is when you, when you have something that you want to target, okay, you identify what that target is, and, and then what you'll do is you'll personalize it. You'll, you'll make fun of it. You'll, you'll talk about someone who's a Christian. You'll talk about someone. So what they'll do is they'll come in and personalize it, and they'll polarize it. They'll put it in a box, and everybody will talk about it. You'll see that on the news constantly now. And they'll polarize it. it You've got to understand that that's a strategy. It's a strategy in the media. And then what they'll do is they'll divide and they'll conquer. And, and that's exactly what's going on right now. This is a planned event that you see going on in this country today. And uh, it's old. It's been going around for a long time. And one of Gramsci's all-star disciples, Saul Alinsky, became one of the most influential radicals of the 1960s. Well, Saul Alinsky was a, he was a prominent radical in, in 1930s Chicago. He worked closely with the Communist Party. He used to go down um, and train at the rifle range with Leon Dupre, who was uh, later a mentor of Barack Obama. And they used to train to shoot because they knew the revolution was just around the corner. But that didn't come, so they, he, he got a bit more subtle. Well, Saul Alinsky called for a um, uh, community organizer to stir things up, to create 
uh, agitation. In fact, he said you'll be accused of being an agitator, and that's exactly what you are. He wanted the haves and have-nots fighting with each other. It wasn't until I was watching an old film from World War II that I realized what the left has been doing in America to pit the poor against the rich, blacks against whites, and the young against the old is the same tactic Hitler used to disunify Germany. You see, they knew that they were not strong enough to conquer a unified country. So they split Germany into small groups. They used prejudice as a practical weapon to cripple the nation. Remember that when you hear this kind of talk. Somebody is going to get something out of it. And it isn't going to be you. And they use the conflict as justification for more government to stop the chaos. So they create the chaos, and then they step in as a solution to the chaos. And as Francis Schaeffer said, once this chaos comes, most people will willingly give over to an authoritarianism because they don't want the chaos. His book was kind of the field manual, if you will, for these activist organizations. Which President Obama studied and taught at a workshop for four years in Chicago as a community organizer for ACORN. As I was reading through Rules for Radicals to see where he was coming from, I just happened to take a look at the dedication in the front of the book. And this is what I saw. Quote, Lest we forget at least an over-the-shoulder acknowledgement to the very first radical, the first radical known to man who rebelled against the establishment and did it so effectively that he at least won his own kingdom. Lucifer. Unquote. Saul Alinsky from Antonio Gramsci has had an incredible amount of influence on our president and on our society. And he dedicates his book openly to Lucifer, Satan. I think that says more about where their ideas and plans are based than anything else. You asked what Saul Alinsky's impact is on the leftist movement today and it basically defines it it defines it Saul Alinsky took the best of Gramsci and the best of the Fabian socialist ideas combined repackaged and sold them to the 60s radicals after studying Alinsky Richard Cloward and his wife Frances Fox Piven came up with what is today known as the Cloward-Piven strategy. Now, their idea was basically that to destroy society or destroy capitalism per se, they needed to overload the system. It was The idea was to get everybody you possibly could on welfare, to get everybody you possibly could basically milking the system in some way or another. It was called the crisis strategy and it became very well known by activists and radicals in the 60s. They published an article in the May 1966 issue of Nation magazine called The Weight of the Poor, in which they outlined their strategy. Rathke read that article, and Rathke ended up starting what we now know today as ACORN, and of course, Cloward and Piven had been studying Saul Alinsky. So Antonio Gramsci gives us Saul Alinsky. Saul Alinsky gives us the Cloward Piven strategy, this husband and wife that said, hey, let's collapse the American economy by implementing so many entitlements, so much of a welfare state it collapse. He, Rathke, studied the Cloward Piven strategy. He starts ACORN. And of course, ACORN gave us Obama. And to show what a small world it is, Wade Rathke, who started ACORN, 
was the draft resistance organizer for SDS, the group the Fabians started. They've used that strategy ever since to expand voting roles, to expand um, welfare roles wherever they can, basically just to overload the system, to increase the tax burden on the middle class and basically bring capitalism one step closer to destruction. I guess we shouldn't be surprised that we still have open borders, that so many people are dependent on the government, and that the left keeps pushing these programs when all they've done is tear apart the black families in America and create generational cycles of poverty. A few more, if you can bear with me here. So politics and community... Political and community organizing, um, and, and again, I'm not political, okay? This is just what it is, and uh, I believe that there's a strategy out there. Uh, he was a huge one on, on community organizing, and, and, the, and he used the principles of Saul Alinsky. Um, if you look at Marxism, socialism, and communism, um, I, I, I'm just showing you this here. It says ideas have consequences. Communist body count uh, was somewhere in, in the neighborhood. If you look at the People's Republic of China, I'm not going to go through every number on here, but 73 million people, uh, USSR, 58 million people that died because of that. Um, it, you're looking at close to, if you add it all together, it was about 179 million people that followed this idea that are dead today because of that idea. If you look at Nazism and body count, as far as that's concerned, because they were into Nazism, I'm not going to go into the difference between you know, the socialism, but they're all kind of interconnected along with uh, fascism. And, um, and so you look at the body count, it's pretty close to 200 million without even Margaret Sanger in there. And so ideas uh, have consequences. Um, and what I'm going to do here is to just uh, show you cultural Marxism in action. Uh, this is, I want to keep it local. So this is an Edina right now. Um, and this was uh, something that was sent to me. It's kind of interesting. It says, instead of striving for academic excellence, jackboot uh, methods are being used to force students to think correctly on social issues. Uh, for years, the Edina public school system, and, and most people have known this, have been one of the brightest stars in the firmament of Minnesota public education. Parents who moved to the affluent uh, Twin Cities suburb gladly paid a hefty premium for a house because it meant their kids could attend the district's top-notch schools. But today, test scores are sinking in Edina's fabled schools. One in five, 20% of Edina high school students can't read at the grade level, and one in three can't do grade-level math. Uh, these test results dropped uh, Edina High School's ranking among Minnesota's high schools from the 5th to the 29th in the reading proficiency and from 10th to 40th in math proficiency between 2014 and 2017. Across the district, about 30% of the kids are not on track for success in reading and at the same time for true math. Um, and what they did, this is something that just is coming out that they're going to be voting on. It's called Cultural competency training, and this is going to be the new teacher mandate. It says, last year, lawmakers unwisely added cultural competency training. This is exactly what Edina schools did. 
They did this, and the, and the test scores went down. They're dumbing down the kids. They're dumbing them down. And, um, and so it says the new law, and this is going to be voted on, um, cultural competency is being able to interact effectively with people of different cultures, native languages, and socioeconomic backgrounds. And the, lit- or the, uh, the wording that they use is oftentimes wording that sounds just terrific. Okay, and it says this is benign sounding language that has thrown the door wide to every radical social justice cause imaginable for decades and and vague legislative terminology has served as a conduit for agencies to embed policies that were never intended or uh, approved by lawmakers. It is a pattern and strategy to use Minnesota nice impulses for fairness and justice ever heard of social justice against us to be licensed in Minnesota this is going to be the new law to be licensed in Minnesota teachers will now be subjected to intense indoctrination on white privilege male privilege how all whites are inherently racist how all men are inherently sexist how gender is a choice that all must embrace Islam embrace LGBT and embrace gender pronouns Uh, this is just an example uh, of the, what I tell people is when you send your kids to college, well, you better, you, and that's what apologetics is all about. You better protect them because if you're not going to protect them, there are so many people that I have had. I have a close friend of mine, uh, awesome, awesome daughter, goes to Madison. She comes out of Madison and it's just like you don't even know who she is. And these are just pictures. You know, here's, here's one that uh, as you look at some of these pictures, these are you know, before they went to college, and these are after they went to college. You lose your kids. You basically lose your kids. And, uh, and, and uh, I'll wind it down here. Uh, when people leave the church, um, it used to be, you know, a lot of times it would be in college. Now, this came from Barna Research. Middle or high school, 89% is when people leave the church. College is, is 11%. It used to be in college. Now it's in the middle schools. You look in here and leaving Christianity, 70% of young people leave the church by age 22. After all you've, all you've seeded into them, 70% of young people leave the church by age 22 and 80% by the age of 30. The number of Americans who follow no religion doubled over the past 20 years. And 80% of young dropouts from Christianity, 77% come from religious homes. 66% describe themselves as, as deconverts. Student views today, Christian youth believe that the church is where you deal with spiritual issues and school is where you talk about real life. And um, who will you serve? Government? government becomes the God, and that's exactly what they want, or do you serve God? And in my opinion, I pick God (laughs) and Jesus Christ. So I'm done. Thanks for uh, uh, just listening to me, and I'm passionate about this. So God bless you.